not to start the, uh, I don't know, this is usually one of those conversations that starts a weird conversation, but found a gray hair today. You know? Oh, welcome to my light. Gray I've hair. had a gray hair for them. a while. Yeah. I love them. I'm going to be real. I love for, them. For the most part, for the most part, I'm sure I've had them. I just haven't really noticed them. Yeah. This one was like very noticeable. It was like, it was making a point of it. I've got um, a few of those. Yeah. It's I've like, got it. I've got a few in my face now too. I don't have any really in my beard yet, but I'm sure I will get some eventually. Days, boys, we are going to be the Santas talking about the filming. <laughs> yeah, it was a wake up call. Just brushing my hair just a few, just an hour or so before the show, and it looked like a piece of tinsel was stuck in my hair. Merry Christmas. I wish it was a piece of tinsel. But I've always said that I really just want to go. I would love to just go gray or white. You know, that's what I would really like to do. But we'll see. Everyone likes a silver fox. It's true. They I would do. love to get through that thing where like just the temples are gray, but I don't know how people get lucky enough with that. Yeah, I was trying to re I couldn't make out. The there's a little, there's a little sub, a little sub line that says, oops, oh. I meant father. That makes it funnier somehow. Cool. There's actual hot chocolate in there last, unlike last week where I was just drinking an empty cup. You didn't eat, you should have at least poured a Dr. Pepper in it or something. I should have, but I just love the, I love the bit of pretending to be drinking only for there to be nothing there. It's acting. Zoom talk shows do. That's the last form of acting I have left in my life. Just pretending to sip on a hot beverage. Just doing occasional bits on this podcast. What's everybody been up to this week? Anything fun? Anything exciting? Oh. Fun Christmas activities to kick off so many Santas? Yeah. Wait, I, this is a kick, is this the kickoff? No, we kicked off last right. week with, yes. with Spirited. With Spirited, yes. So it's week two. Great. Of so many Santas. In the vein of Spirited, I watched uh, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, an animated Netflix musical. How was that? Because I watched the trailer. I would describe it as fairly mediocre. And I feel bad saying that because it is obvious that a lot of hard work went into it. Yeah. There was an imaginative depiction of the ghosts, I will say. But I would say with the exception of one, maybe two songs, like the music was really pretty pedestrian and as far as like a christmas carol adaptations goes it was like i don't know i mean it was very kid you know kids watch them but when, when we have had a lot of really good christmas carol adaptations over the last i would say 10 12 years that have not shied away from the source material and this one was like ooh, the source material Let's that's just... my thing with it if you're gonna yeah. do a christmas carol in this stage of light you gotta make it interesting i don't want to see the same old scrooge that's why I congratulate last week's entry of Spirited. Well, they made it different and I interesting. I would say this is not the same old Scrooge. Scrooge, okay. this is, is it is very different. It takes a lot of liberties and it, it, ha it comes up with some really interesting things to the story. But the larger editions are mostly like they give him a dog and they and that dog is there just for, you know, physical comic humor, you know, and they make the I mean, they, it's not really, it's not like a, there's not like a modern feeling to it, but it is just very, I don't know. It's very different, but it just also feels like they were like, ah, we don't really need to pay that much attention to the actual book events. You know, we can have some fun and liberties with it. But as far as uh, there's one song though, I'd say what there's a song in the middle. I don't know what the actual title is, but I'll just say, um, we'll just call this the song later. Uh, Luke Evans, who plays Scrooge in it, freaking ate that like he just killed it and so i was like wow this is huge and then the preceding four songs were just so boring mm -hmm. um and so you know this is what it is so yeah i did that i've watched a bunch of other movies non-christmas movies but we can talk about those some other time 
Right. We talked about it off mic, but I watched a movie on HBO Max called Santa Camp, which oh, was yeah. a documentary about an actual real life Santa Camp up in the Northeast somewhere. And the whole point of the documentary was that they wanted to be reach out to a more diverse population of people who are or want excuse me, want to be Santa. And mm-hmm. so they had a black Santa, they had a Santa with spinal defibrilla, and they had a trans Santa on there. And they it was a very interesting experience. They talked about them. They also looked at Mrs. Claus and mm-hmm. the various people who represent Mrs. Claus and how they can add their own stuff to the characters then how that representation matters when they show a lot of kids going and seeing different kinds of Santas after they've gone through the camp. It's just a really interesting kind of different take on a Christmas movie rather than, you know, the normal movie. You look at the Santa and there's a little bit of business and things in there that they get into. So it's kind of interesting. I'm a little confused, Garrett. Are they training to be Santas at like malls or something? Like, or for like special events? What is the training for? It is all of the above. I mean, these are people who take Santa as a business. And so when they leave, they are certified professional Santa. Some of them do malls. One of them who's been there, he did what he called like a look-in where he is hired to come into this family's home in the middle of the night and unload these presents and the kids come downstairs and see Santa. And that is something that he charges as a professional Santa to families if they want it. And I, I assume that. that he gets hired to do his work at mall. One of the Santa with spinal bifida, he, or I don't know how to say the last half of that, but I probably said it wrong both times, but he, his goal was to be in the December parade. Maybe he made it, maybe he didn't. You should watch but do you need, and see, but it's really good. We talked about it off mic. Do you need specific, like, deep character training to be Santa in a parade? Nobody's going to be close to you. You must know the Lord. Don't, what if you, but what if you get you caught know, you, by a kid and you don't I, know its basic I'm all for, history? I'm all for the inclusion and the diversity component of it. I'm just confused as to why a Santa performer would need a camp. It just kind of feels, you know, if you know that Family Guy bit where it's like how Ben Affleck prepares for a role and he's like, "Oh, I've got to be English in 35 minutes." Hello, hello, got it. You know, like that's all the training you need to be Santa. Oh, oh and you've got it. You also, I would imagine, you get to charge more. I guess for your prices. How easy, how hard is it to forge professional Santa? Now that I can't attest to, but I bet it's pretty easy to print it up and someone will believe you. You can just put it on your website. People believe it. Even if you put it on your website, I would be like, oh, is that real? Interesting. I haven't done the proper legwork. What about you, Josh? You've been watching anything fun? Yeah, sure. I honestly haven't watched a lot of Christmas stuff, so I don't really have any Christmas to bring, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. I did watch, well, I haven't finished it yet, but I started Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. on. Yeah. I'm about halfway through it. I'll finish it probably some point in the next week or so. But it's actually really good. It, you know, everybody, for the most part, in Western culture at least, their idea of Pinocchio is that classic 1940s Disney version. Uh-huh. And that is <clears throat> very much not what this is. I don't know anything about the source material of Pinocchio outside of it is darker than you would expect. Uh-huh. So I don't know how much this ties into that. But it's really interesting because they set it in like post-World War One Italy. And so Pinocchio is also facing the rise of fascism, which sounds ridiculous to say, but the rise of, fa- of fascism in Italy and Mussolini and all that play a role mm-hmm. into Pinocchio, which mm-hmm. is which makes it really interesting. And the, I mean, the stop motion is great. 
I wish I was clever enough. Del Toro is an artist for sure. And it looks, the stop motion looks really good. So I'm excited to finish it. It's, it's pretty good. I like it. It's a little weak on the music. It's technically a musical. And mm. there are some musical numbers. Don't love those because they're just not that catchy or anything. But I would um, prefer yeah, it if it were a straight movie. It's, from, it's on my list. I My goal is to watch, and this is going to be paltry compared to, I'm sure, your list. But my goal is to get to 40 movies. By the time we do our season review, I'm not that much higher up than. Oh, good. I'm at 31 right now. So I, I've got uh, yeah, Pinocchio's on the list. Wendell and Wild is on the list. That was a new stop motion movie. As Black Adam drops the day, like days, just days before we do our season in review. And so I'm uh, a small NBA 24 amped movie, Black Adam. Like, that also Dwayne is extremely Johnson. profitable. You know what? The worst yeah. part is I'm gonna end up liking it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I feel gonna, the same. I probably won't. I don't know. It's, uh, it's gonna. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it in the comfort of my home on HBO Max or whatever. And I'm gonna be like, oh man, it's not that bad in this scenario. Oh well. You know what else though? Not movie related. Mm-hmm. I went and saw a stand-up show last night. Oh yes, I saw and you. That was exciting. I saw you being real at that. It was I got to be real at a cool event that never happens <laughs> for anyone. Everyone's always at right. their computer. They're always just sitting at work. I know. I was like, I could be real and I'm in public. But it was really good. I saw Taylor Tomlinson at the Cox Business Center, which was interesting to say the least. That place shouldn't do shows there. Yeah. yeah. So let me tell you. So I walk in and it's big. This place is much bigger than I. It's like a convention center, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. when I tell you, I have never been more confused in my life because there was like no signage when I walked in. And it took me about 10 steps to realize that I also walked into a massive cheer competition. (laughs) So there is a full-blown cheerleader competition happening at this convention center. And then at the other end in the ballroom is the comedy ship. That's interesting. So that was confusing. It was great, though, because the comics made that a bit. They were, it was one of those fun shows where you could tell like it was a little off because, and they were very open about how it felt extremely weird to be doing a stand-up show in a business center. It felt more like a TED Talk or a seminar, but extremely funny. So I had a great time getting to go out and laugh in public. It's fun. You know, that'll probably make it weirdly memorable, though, for them is the, you know, it's so. like a, it's a diff- different atmosphere. No, it was great. Like, I, they, you know, they crack jokes at stuff, but they clearly had a good time with it. And it, it did. It made the show feel a little... Who opened it? Was there, an, was there an opener we would know? I don't know if you'd know him. His name is Dustin Nickerson, and he is more of an up-and-coming... Well, I say up-and-coming. He's actually, I learned, been on the road for a long time, but he's kind of just now starting to get attention. He's been on some late-night shows and things like that. And he was also very cool. funny. He actually, he made a couple jokes I really liked. One about how the night before they played Oklahoma City, and they both actually made a comment about how the drive from Oklahoma City to Tulsa was the most mind-numbing thing they've ever experienced, uh, which is true. It's, it's awful. Yeah. But he also made this joke about how, you know, people are so divisive about everything right now. And it's, you can't even say hello to someone and they want your opinion on something controversial. And he said he was talking to a friend recently and he was like, you know, what do you think? What do you think we need to do about all the guns? And the guy goes, that's how you say hello to me. I mean, I don't, I grew up redneck. So, I mean, I've been around guns. They're not really for me. So I don't know. And the guy goes, what about to protect your home? And he goes, man, I'm a millennial. I don't have a home. You think I own a home? 
That's someone else's home. They can protect it. That's I laughed really hard at that. I laughed in Millennial very hard. Oh, man. So good, good it was stuff. good stuff. It was much better. Look, been... I'm going to say this, and if and he might hear it. And if he does, he needs to. Both these comedians whooped Jerry Seinfeld's ass. I saw Jerry earlier this year. I, we talked about before. Yeah, where was that? Was that the Hard Rock? That was at the Tulsa Performing Arts Center. Oh, yeah. And he was not ready to. He was not ready to game. He could not play the game that night. And I love him. He was. It was a burner night on Tulsa. But, but these two professionals, they killed it. Yeah, saves the A game. Yeah, that was my weekend. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. No. Let's get into the topic of the evening. I guess I. I don't know why I said evening. Our main conversation topic today is another Christmas movie, one that we've never even done one in the series before. Nope. Which might be impressive because it's a very long series. It is. But today we're going to talk about Ernest Saves Christmas. No, I mean, what I mean? No, I mean, what I mean? David, this was your pick. No, I mean, Josh. Please tell us why you made us watch this. Because, one, the lead thing, and we've talked about this, I think, for the last six months, is that we have hit kind of, I think, for the most part, our favorite Christmas movies. Like the three of us and Andrew. We've already kind of brought up Christmas movies that we like or Christmas movies that we remembered fondly. And so we are circling the drain before we have to start branching into Christmas movies that either we don't remember fondly, like A Miracle on 34th Street, which I'm not saying is a bad movie. I just have no, I just, it's never been a movie that I was like, oh, Miracle on 34th Street, let's watch that. And Andrew's not here to defend it. You know what I mean? So, no, me, Vern. So I was like, I find something, man. I got to find something that's either either really good and we could talk about how it's a really good movie or I need to find something that's just going to be trash and fun. And I want, I didn't want to go Hallmark. I didn't want to go Netflix, but I remembered, wait a minute. Wasn't there a beloved treasured hillbilly icon of the early nineties and late eighties that saved Christmas once? And yes, there was, his name was Ernest P. Worrell and he has a movie called Ernest Saves Christmas. And I thought I would love to subject us to that. And my, you know, the other reason was because I, I feel we were getting too comfortable. We were getting too nice. We we're getting too chummy. So I really wanted to see what this would do to us. Okay. You had to throw in some Christmas chaos. Christmas chaos. It needs a little bit. I did it. I've done it before with Jingle All the Way. I've done it before with Four Christmases. We got to get some, some polarizing Christmas movies. Well, then... Let me do, I'll do something a little different than we've done before. And since you picked the movie, let me ask you which one of us you want to hear from first. Oh, you know, I guess I, I honestly I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with you, Josh, because you hadn't you had claimed to not seen the movie and you claimed to not really know much about Ernest to begin with last yes. week. Yes. Okay. Both of those things are true. Upon rewatch or upon I said rewatch, I almost caught myself. Upon watching the movie, I'm still pretty confident I'd never seen it before. It didn't ring any bells. And I didn't know a lot hey, about Jingle Ernest. Bell. I was not an earnest kid mm-hmm. growing up, so I had to do, I did a little research about the character beforehand, which was very helpful, I think. Helped me understand a bit more. I, well, actually, I don't understand it still, but <laughs> I get some things. Yes. Now, that said, I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> did I hate the movie? No. no. I, it's not like I was like, this is a, an abomination, but it's not good. It's yeah. not made very well. And here's my number one issue with it. Number one issue. Ernest Saves Christmas. Okay, I don't need to watch the movie then. (laughs) They named the movie What Happens. I don't like that. Yeah, but the journey. It's the journey. I don't care about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, man. 
It should be like Ernest. How do we get I don't there? Know. I don't know, but at no point could you wonder so you're if saying, Ernest will in fact save Christmas because that's the title. You wouldn't watch the show if it was called I Met Your Mother. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, no, just no. I, d- I don't like the Ernest character. I didn't like the callbacks to the commercials. Mm-hmm. Mainly the entire visit to Vern's house. You didn't like the like visit really to Vern's gritty. house? It was really the gritty. highlight. What I did you didn't think like... Go ahead. So Santa, right? Right. Well, let me tell you an aspect I did. I did like the idea of Santa losing or beginning to lose his powers every hundred years or so and then needing to find a replacement. That's interesting. I like that better than the Santa Claus version of whenever he drops dead, if you found him, you're Santa. You guys need yeah. to keep watching the Santa Clauses. I won't, but that's... Because it's not only has it gotten very good, but it's it's revealed some things. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And it's become... there's So after the first episode, there's a lot less intrusive Alan humor. Anyway, continue on. The Santa okay. Claus in Ernest Saves Christmas. So that's all fine and dandy. What annoyed me about this Santa is he's... I gotta find... I have to appoint my replacement by 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve or whatever day it is. Well, why'd you wait for that day? If you've known this, you <laughs> known waited until the day that yeah. it is due. I don't... Uh, Santa only works two days a year. I think we I all know that. True. He only works on... He's been chilling. He's been putting this off until the last minute. So, overall, it's a big no for me. I don't. I don't even really see what's in it for children. Right. And I was left wondering if throughout the 80s there was something in the water that just made people really into weird stuff like this. Or maybe there was nothing in the water. Or maybe there was, and, we've improved. and now there is something in the water. What did you think, Garrett? You've, you had nostalgic feelings for this movie. Maybe. You know, I, I definitely have seen this movie before, but I still don't know when. I still don't know where. I talked to my parents. I was like, do y'all remember? Ernest. And they were like, yeah, kind of. Interesting. When they remember the Brahms commercials more than anything is what they remember. It's mm. him as the Brahms spokesperson. And so I asked my, I was like, did I watch it as a kid or anything? They were like, no, not really. But somewhere I've seen it. I love that Santa was the Sultan from Aladdin. That was That's beautiful because I was like, that true. voice, that voice, I know it. And I had to look it up. And when I found that out, that just made it even more fun. So that yes. was great. I mean, Ernest is Barney Fife in the 80s. Right. Ernest is redneck Mr. Bean. It's just a bumbling, chaotic idiot of tornado. And it's entertaining enough to be entertaining if you shut down everything. I mean, if you look at it from baseline nothingness of mm-hmm. this is meant for this character right. to be a chaotic mess. And that's it. And it succeeds in that. He is a chaotic mess. Everything he goes, he bumbles and he screws it up. But he's so pure and he's so innocent and he means so well that he always gets away with it, even when he shouldn't. Right. There's no reason that at the end of this movie, Santa should have been like, hey, Ernest, you want to drive my sleigh? No. Absolutely. He, he walks. He's walking off all sullen and sad. Well, I guess my part in this adventure's over and he's just walking away. You, you can't technically save Christmas. If you are one of the reasons that you almost ruined it. <laughs> you jeopardize, you help jeopardize Christmas. You, your stupidity and innocence just almost ruined everything. But because you didn't mean to do it, I, I get it. Right. Outside of that, you know, this movie is very, I think I see where kids would like it because it is just 
an innocent fool with Santa just yeah. being a chaotic mess. And that's everybody's dream is to fly the sleigh and be all of that whenever you're a kid. So like easily, this so, movie was 100% marketed and catered towards kids and all of this stuff was for, for these movies anyway. And yeah, it was like a specific time frame, like you said, Josh, where that it can only exist in this time frame of the 80s and 90s. Outside of that time frame, it can't live. I don't think so. It is, a, it is exactly a product of its time. My best description of this is that this is a homemade movie on a $6 million budget. Like, yeah. the entire crux of what this movie is, the character of Ernest is funny, or at least the people making it think that Ernest is funny. So everything is catered around that. You know, I've made a home movie. Josh has made a home movie more, you know, we made one together, more or less. We didn't know, we weren't the filmmakers, we were just actors in it. But we find it hilarious to rewatch because we were in it. And I'm sure the people who were involved in this thing thought it was hilarious. Is it hilarious? Not on purpose, mostly. Like, it's mostly accidental. My, I laughed at the absolute hardest when Ernest shows up as a snake wrangler. Because he showed up to a place, he showed up to a place in disguise... When nobody knew who he would have been, he had no reason to be in disguise because nobody would have said, hey, you're Ernest. And also, Ernest already looks like a snake wrangler. He doesn't have to dress up like a greasy cage and go, oh, my, you know, I got these here to the rat version of her to show. He could have just showed up as regular old Ernest and just done it, man. So I love it because the thing is, Jim Varney, as an actor, um, he wanted to do like a bunch of different characters. But he's, Ernest was like far and away the most popular thing. So his his backdoor of getting other characters into the movies that he wanted to do was to just have Ernest be a master of disguise. So that's why he shows up as this, you know, stuffy aunt who's wearing a neck brace and it's shoving her face all into her nose, you know. And that's why he shows up as Rattler Man and he shows up as the, you know, the guy who works for the government. He's always or whatever, right? And, and you know what? Why is he good at that? That makes no sense that he would be good at being a master disguise. He's not oh, good at anything. The hilarity of it is, so no. this is what I said, and you guys can refute me on this if you think. I don't know where this pen came from. You can refute me on this if you want. I view Ernest as a, a hillbilly who is educated by television because everything he says is referential of something in the world of pop culture, not necessarily like geeky stuff, but like, He'll put on this announcer man voice and he'll do these things where he's referencing, you know, ads, you know, and things like that. And that's what that was part of the appeal of the commercials was that like he was just some dude on the street who just happened to know all of the marketing lingo that Brahms or Bic or whoever it was would be would use in their program in their commercials. Right. So he's kind of an idiot who's been educated by television his whole life. And that parlays into an almost intelligence like he's not smart enough to actually be a government employee but he's smart enough to pretend to be one because he's seen them on television or he's seen a snake wrangler on TV, you know, or he's seen these, you know, whatever it is, you know, because he says stuff like when he's backing up the car, and he's like, always move your car in the proper bit of a vehicle, right? And he's doing this like very clearly put on voice. He imitates John Wayne. Quite so well. It's this, you know, and I think Jim Varney actually is a pretty talented actor. It's just sure. it's such a, it's such a goofy homemade movie feeling where it's a big inside joke that you're not really in on. 
Yeah. And no. they cram in a pretty, you know, yeah, like you said, a pretty interesting little Christmas story about Santa needing to fi- find his replacement. His replacement goes off to Joe, shoot Violent Night, you know. and Can we talk about that part of the movie? Because there were several parts of the movie that were silly. But that whole Joe part was, a, that whole Joe part. Yeah. Being an actor and then going in the sleigh and then struggling to say the B word in front of the kid. And then all of a sudden being like, yeah, I'm going to do this Christmas sleigh movie, but can we take out the violence and the language? What is wrong with you, Joe? Right. Why are you being represented by this man? Why do they want you so mad? Yeah. Don't be Santa. Like, easy. His that was bad. There was also... really bad. Yeah, his representation was bad. And then the one joke that I laughed at because I just didn't understand was when Ernest flying the sleigh and he's coming down and then he's playing and the deer stop and then he just looked at the camera and then said, air break. <laughs> like, that was the punchline. I was like, what was the joke? It was the only thing. I was in it was one of the only things that my wife still laughed at. She she loved this movie as a kid. And this was, I don't know, what is it called when you have your nostalgia shattered? You know, it was a glass-shattering moment where she was watching it. She was like, oh, no. This is me watching Power Rangers, the movie, the first, like, when I was, like, 18. I went, oh, no. So he was actually god-awful. But yeah, it's what happens it if you go back to nope. our like fourth episode ever and you watch me and David or me and Garrett and Andrew lose hope for our lives after <laughs> how bad Ace Ventura was. It's unwatchable. I mean, it's and it's kind of it's kind of tough to go through that. So she's watching it, but she still laughed at the air brakes thing. And I think it's just because it's one of those things that like her dad thought was really funny. So she thought was funny. So by nature, it was like a funny bit. I don't know. He's just referencing the fact that tr- big trucks have air brakes. And so he's like, I guess so. Air brakes. I'm stopped in midair. It, it's the suddenness down. of him and the deer stopping par- completely yeah. perpendicular to the ground that really, I was like, oh, they're going to die. Um, it's just yeah. a bad, it's a, it's a genuinely bad dad joke is what it is. It is. Not like a, oh, yeah. dad jokes are so bad. No, like it's, it really shouldn't have been said. It's that bad. But, yeah. So you combine those things, it is a live-action cartoon in many ways. It is goofiness sure. and silly, and it's not to be taken seriously, really, in any way. I do appreciate, Garrett, I'm glad, or Josh, whichever one of you was, said that the 7 p.m. time line, time, time deadline. if you watch, there are several clocks in the background, and they're always ticking slightly up to that time, and there's a clock on the bank behind them during their final conversation and you see it go from like 657 658 so like they managed to keep that clock right where it needed to be which is a thing you could easily overlook in i'm a shocked that anyone cared enough to do that because like it easily could have said 12 30 in the background and people would have been like oh but they kept yeah. they made sure those clocks were right yeah so there was that i honestly think that one of the most forgettable aspects of this movie is the little girl who is harmony star like, she's gonna be famous one day He's just a part of it, you know? Harmony's are. It's the only there point to was make to it prove a children's that Joe... Yeah. Well, she's there to make it a children's movie, but the only reason that she's there is because at the end of this movie, she says to Joe, after he's become Santa Claus, my name's Harmony Star, and then he goes, no, it's not Pamela, and that had already been established, so that's the only reason that she existed in this movie, was to connect both dots of that. He knows her name's not Harmony Star, but that's right. the real Santa now. And that pro- that's proving he is Santa. He has the ability. He, he has the gift. Um, yeah, I mean, everything else about it is just, I don't know, just everything feels, like you said, low budget. Yeah, that's why I don't even, what did they spend $6 million on? I mean, it would have to just be, I would think, just paying cast and crew. Because that's a lot of money back then. And then maybe renting out some things, because 
So this was the first film. I'll move into, we can move into some of the production stuff now. According to Wikipedia, this is the first film to be filmed entirely in Orlando, Florida, which is kind of surprising. Yes. It was filmed mostly in Orlando and the, at that time, unfinished Disney MGM Studios. And then they shot a few things in Nashville, two or three scenes in Nashville. So like, you would think Orlando's been around for a while and movie making had been around for a long time by 1988 that they would have, somebody would have made a movie in Orlando by this really? point, but no. So I don't know where most of the money went to. I would assume most of it just went to, you know, paying the crew, paying the cast. And I don't know, probably, you know, renting a lot on Di a lot of Disney. But I don't know this. So this was the second film officially in the Ernest franchise. So maybe they were like, hey, let's really raise that budget up. Before I want to uh, give a shout out to one person in this movie who is an Oklahoma legend to some people. Gaylord Sartain is in this movie. Is that name familiar to either one of you two guys? No. Yeah. Gaylord Sartain is from Oklahoma and he's in The Waterboy, or not The Waterboy, I'm sorry, he's in The Replacement, but he is well known here for doing a TV show with Gary Busey called Mazeppa Papazoidi. Uh, way back in the day. And so Gaylord Tartain was the shipping, one of the shipping right. container guys who was doing all the screaming and the eye shifting and stuff like that. Was he that. the big guy he or is the, the one smaller person. guy? He was the bigger guy. He was the bigger guy in there. And he, anytime that he shows up in a movie, I always get excited because I know who he is just because my parents were big fans of the TV show and he did it with Gary Busey. So that was a real, like an actual piece of the movie that I did enjoy was to see that. Gaylord wasn't there. He's always funny whenever he shows up. He is such an over-the-top person, but he's usually pretty solidly funny. Yeah, but look cool. at that. He was uh, he went to Will Rogers High School. According to Wikipedia, Ernest is what he is known for. Gaylord Tartain. Really? Yep. Really? Because, I mean, there's... A, oh, yeah, he was also in Ernest Goes to Camp. So he may have been yeah. in a couple of these Ernest movies. He was a Ernest regular on the country music variety series Hee Haw, and he is yeah. known yep. for his roles in three Ernest movies and the TV series oh, Hey Vern, Hee Haw. It's Ernest. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's a member of, the, he's a part of the Ernest verse. Yeah. He was on Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, yeah, and you know what? I think I remember exactly who he is in the replacement. He's probably one of the assistant coaches. He is uh, one of the assistant coaches. Or the lineman coach. That's a, I like that movie. I know that it's probably kind of movie. also not a super beloved movie, but it's, uh, I like the replacements. I have fun Dang. with it. Same David. No, it was a pizza movie I enjoyed as well. You know, an element of the Ernest character. Because I was really trying to break down, okay, who is Ernest? What is Ernest? Why is this? What appeal? Why what's the Ernest? appeal here? And, you know, one thing is the being really close to the camera. And a lot of it is this close reaction thing that we were doing at the beginning of the show. I don't know why that's the appeal. I don't know what it is about that. And then the other part is this sort of Vern character that is popular in the commercials and then brought back for the movie. It's interesting that you didn't like that part, Josh, because that was him going, oh, Vern, and then the door getting shut and slammed in his face was, that's one of the parts of the movie that sticks out in my brain. The uh, door slam is funny. I think I don't like it because it throws the whole movie off because I don't like the perspective shift. Right. I don't like that all of a sudden a character is the first, is the first, but I don't, it's all just a throwback to the commercial and it just feels gross. I don't like it. It does feel like a detour because the movie is not that long, but it de it's 95 minutes, but it honestly feels still somehow 20 to 25 minutes too long. It feels yeah. like they really needed to pad it with stuff. Yeah. So, but this is also like it, what I imagine Christmas vacation is just from Eddie's perspective. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I won't lie. I mean, I, in terms of Ernest as a character, he's not that dissimilar from the kind of thing you would see. I feel like if it was Jim Carrey, people would be like, oh my gosh, Ernest is one of the funniest characters of all time because it's all that same stuff. It's just being done on such a 
lower budget, such like a lesser known actor, but it is that kind of, you know, crazy, silly physical humor and throwing in an impression. It doesn't have to be good. Just do it, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. So I also did not, by the way, I also did not love the movie upon rewatch, but I enjoy that we did it because I think we, I think it's fun to not, to do one that's not great. No, it is. And I don't know. These, this type of bumbling man child is not a character that I've ever really liked. Like, he gets, comp- he gets called redneck Mr. Bean all the time. I hate Mr. Bean. Oh, God, I can't stand Mr. Bean. It's so stupid. Well, he can't do it. Mr. Bean doesn't talk, though. There's a lot of talk in here. This is not Mr. Bean, but it's the same thing. You'll get it. I, when I was a kid, I went to a kid, another kid's birthday party. And they went to the movies, and we had to watch Johnny English. Even at 12 years old, it was the most god-awful experience of my life. I hated that movie. Yeah, Johnny English never I cannot do Rowan Atkinson in 99% of things. One of the funniest things I've ever seen Rowan Atkinson do is an interview with Elton John. And the interview, so the interview starts off seemingly with regular questions, but then the interview slowly becomes Rowan Atkinson consistently like perpetually criticizing elton john for not naming himself john elton because elton and john like they should he thinks they should be switched like you have your last name first and your first name last and elton just continually pushing trying to push past that question and then ron would start another question that sounds like a new thing but then it just circles back around to elton john i like that it's great it's honestly it's hilarious and I would watch that i've ruined most of the bit but it is really funny no i just yeah. and it's not that i think no. oh that's not real comedy or something. No, I just don't think it's funny. I and that happens. I do not think it's funny. You know, I was not well-liked in high school. Around, I guess. I was not well-liked in high school because I did not care for most Will Ferrell movies. I just kind of uh. was like, I just thought, I just kind of, well, one, everybody ruined them for me by coming immediately, like, after, from seeing it to, like, saying all of the jokes from the movie. But I don't know, there was just something about, like, over, after a while, it was just like, okay, is this it? Is this, like, the whole, is it just going to be this every time? And I realize yeah. I'm a hypocrite, okay? I did a lot of Adam Sandler movies as a kid, but I remind you, as a kid, and Will Ferrell's hype came kind of in our teens, and I was like, I'm a teen now. I'm not eight years old. You're going to have to mix it up. So, I don't know. But I well, think Will there's Ferrell's... there's a line, too, you know? Will pre- Ferrell definitely has made movies like that, but I think Adam Sandler is a good example because he can do that. But what makes him different is he's just dumb enough to still be believable as a person, I think, and Ernest and Mr. Bean, like, you all can't live. There's just no way. Oh, well, I feel like Ernest makes more sense. Ernest seems to have his, he seems to be aware of things. He's got a job. He's just, he's, the problem is, or the big difference is that Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey, Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller, I don't know. They all, they're, it's for adults. It's very much for adults and for an older audience. And this is very much a bumbling, you know, like foolish person but very much targeted to kids and families. There's nothing objectionable here in terms of, in terms of like language, in terms of right. content. The closest may get this is there really may be is some, like, yeah, some like. This really is if you took it to a seventh grader and said, write a movie about Christmas and they did that. I could see that. But, and that, and you know, so it's like Adam Sandler play, could play the exact same character, but you know, you throw in some cursing, you throw in some, some PG-13, you know, permissible nudity and you got, you know, a, a big hit, right? But this is very much a family-friendly bumbling idiot. And that's why I think it, it either works or it doesn't, you know? If you're seven, six years old, you're like, this is funny and silly, and that guy's Santa Claus. But if you're, you know, 32, you're like, 
is a long is a long 95 minutes right yeah yeah and I, I don't know maybe it's because of the whole background of Ernest where you know he's really he wasn't meant to be a movie character you know right he was created as a commercial spokesperson that took off and so they tried they turned it into it and I don't know maybe some of the Ernest movies work and some don't I have my suspicions on that but he just doesn't have a lot of background to right. work from so he just is dumb and that's it there's no depth at well, all i think what he is if i were to compare him to a character that i think is the exact same thing but works but obviously again the problem is this is it's better in the short form is he spongebob spongebob is perfectly capable of go getting from one place to another but he's a he's an idiot but he's, he has a job and he dry, he takes care of himself and he takes care of his pet and he knows all his friends' names and he's very nice and very agreeable except for that one guy who really hates him, right? Like he is Spongebob, you, you know? Yeah. But it, but, you do put Spongebob in this exact same movie and I watch that movie. I mean, it's, it's Spongebob Saves Christmas. I mean, SpongeBob's it would work. Funnier. It would work. Spongebob works, but also Spongebob, you know, works better in that short form. And, you know, I think Ernest works pretty well in the short form. I do think... That said, I have watched those Brahms commercials and they're pretty bad. It's also important that, you know, we talked about that air break joke earlier, right? Mm -hmm. SpongeBob has good right. There is actually yeah. good jokes. Yes. For a children's show. It's just not good jokes in this movie. Right. We're just at, at the archetypal level. That's yeah. What, that's at the what archetype. it is. So but I at think a, maybe. At an execution level, like these are pedestrian jokes. With good writers, maybe Ernest would be good. And but I think that's why. Because Jim of... Barney is good. I think some of it's improv, is, but I could be wrong. I don't know how much of it is like just Jim Varney just making it up as he goes. Jim Varney can only do so much. I have another thought I wanted to put out there that is related to this movie, but also kind of expands to some other movies that are Santa Claus related. Why is it that the job of Santa Claus is always put on someone forcefully? Right. Joe Carruthers didn't really want to be Santa at first. Scott Calvin doesn't want to be Santa at all. Claus didn't want to be Santa. Yep. In the new movie, Violent Night, I won't spoil anything, but they have a similar story where you just become Santa, mm. whether you liked it or not. So I wonder why we treat it like that, because Santa is seen as this big, jolly old elf, but it's always forced on someone. Yeah, I think it's never someone who embraces it. From the start. Right. Thinking out loud, I think it's probably somewhat to do with just the fish out of water component mm. of taking someone who doesn't believe in Santa anymore or just is not like in a place, you know, like emotionally where they could take on that kind of thing and taking them and putting them in this, you know, magical fantasy world where they have to, what is all this? I don't know how to do this and watching them become santa i guess that's just at its core that's what they like to do and i guess it's just a, it's just a story type that really serves it but it would be interesting to see a movie where santa's replacement is been training for it their whole life or something like that i'm not yes, sure how you, you talking out loud reminded me that of the disney plus movie noel right where it's passed down to the son right and the son don't want to be santa but the daughter does. Right. She's totally pro being Santa. But you know what they do is they take her and they put her fish out of water in like Arizona or right. something like that for mm -hmm. her to learn some story it there. In all of these movies, it's always put on someone who doesn't want it. And I find that so interesting. Yeah. I would love or, to see a Santa movie where they like, yes, where they've wanted it 
and you get the whole movie is them like training. That's the Santa Claus I want. I want to be Santa. And then yeah. they get to be Santa. That I'm trying to, I don't know. That's to Camp, and you can watch that on HBO Max. <laughs> that's true. I'm going to have to. Those people want to be Santa. Okay, I'm going to watch it. That told, that sold me right there. Well, I guess let's start to switch gears and get to wrapping this one up. You know what? Um, sorry, I had a latent thought there. What? Where, what would be great is a movie where someone wants to be Santa so bad that they start impersonating Santa and try to take over at the North Pole. You can call it Single White Christmas. Matt called the Santa Claus too. Haven't been watched that on that's Disney true. Plus. That's true. I don't even remember that movie. That's true. Well, I know. I'm sure you don't have a lot of box office information, but I do believe this is the most successful Ernest movie. Is that true? Yes, I believe so. So you know, according to it's no Avatar, but no. But accor- according to sources, they made this movie on a six point five million dollar budget, which almost would be like plane flights, you know, back then. Anyway, but it went. It actually did pretty well. It opened in the number two spot. Of in 1988, November 11, 1988, just about $800,000 under Child's Play, the first Child's Play. Um, what a weekend. Button, right? <laughs> what a, you know, you got murdered child, happy redness. Yeah, so Child's Play opened number one with $6.5 million. Ernest at number two with $5.7. Iron Eagle 2 starring, oh, I forgot his name, but Lou Gossett Jr., I believe, came in at three with 3.5 in the third spot. And number four, a movie called They Live brought in 2.7. And at number five, Everybody's All-American brought in 2.6. I don't even know most of the movies you've listed. I know. Some of them are vague. I had to. Look, I looked up the Iron Eagle one because it was a sequel. I was like, Iron Eagle 2? Well, we'll have to look into Iron Eagle at some point. So yeah, 5.7 on its opening weekend. The movie would go on to bring in $28.2 million over the course of its run, which wasn't overly long. Oh, I stand corrected. It was a pretty, pretty long run, it looks like. But uh, about 400 days. Um, in theaters and finished at $28.2 million, which on a $6.5 million budget with probably almost no marketing back then, I would think. Not bad, you know? I mean, not, and for 1988, that's good enough to finish in the number 38 spot, I believe. Yes, in the number 38 spot. I mean, you know, so rubbing it in a little bit here, $28.28 million, 38 spot. Ernest actually beat out a Chevy Chase comedy from that mo- from that year, which only brought in $25 million. A movie called Funny Farm. So, Ernest beat Chevy. Number, number one movie of 1988. I don't think you guys would ever guess it. We can do the we can do the tomato, the Rotten Tomatoes style game. It's a 1988 movie. You know, two words. Rain Man was the number one movie of cool. 1988, mm-hmm. followed by Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, both mm-hmm. these movies brought in just over 150 million. Rain Man brought in 170. Coming to America brought in 128 in the number three spot. Big starring Tom Hanks brought in 114. Wow. And Twins was the number five movie of the year with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. See, just all this is more evidence that something was in the water back then. Right, some of these are some weirdo... I mean, you want me to... Movies would never make worse it. the further I go. Crocodile Dundee 2 was number six. Die Hard was number seven. Uh, I'm naked, honestly surprised Die Hard's not higher. The, na- the Naked Gun was number eight. The Naked Gun is hilarious, though. Cocktail's number nine. This is a Beetle different Juice. world, friend. This is a different very world. different world. Ten. There you go. Very is a different time, a different place. Only six movies brought in more than a hundred million dollars at the box office that year. It was not the age of the blockbuster yet. No, we weren't quite quite. there yet. I mean, when you know, none of these really are even like so. The closest thing to a blockbuster movie that year was I would probably well, maybe not the closest thing, but the highest one was Die Hard. Came in with only eighty three million dollars, and that's like the one that's presented the most as a blockbuster movie. Wow. Anyway, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was good though. 
All right. Um, and that's it. There was no international release for Ernest, go figure. Hmm. I can't imagine why Donner. they wouldn't want to give this to the world. Why wouldn't they dub this an Indian, you know? Or in, <laughs> yeah, well, now exactly it's global. I'm sure it's global. people think America is, though. That would have, honestly, I think it would have been successful overseas. It probably would have. You know, you put, you, you dub, but you dub Ernest in Korean, and I bet Americans it's Americans are that stupid. That 100%. Yep. All right, let's 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 play this guessing game. Really glad I haven't seen this. Time for the letterbox game. This one's going to be weird. I this know. This one's going to be tough. I took a letterboxed survey this week where I said that the letterbox review system was the one I trusted the most. Yeah. Some top reviews from Letterboxd are, you wouldn't think so by the title, but Ernest literally does save Christmas. Jim Varney was the best. Miss him. Agreed. He was a great guy. Yeah. Heard a lot of good stories about him as a person. Like he was really good with it when, with kids on movie sets and stuff like that. Yeah. This one calls it wholesome and refreshing. I don't think I agree, but I respect them. Wholesome, but not refreshing. I do agree with that. I don't think it's a good movie, it's but not I think an overly it's refreshing. It's not an overly cynical movie, you know. Santa's not losing his power because the power of Christmas is leaving or anything like that. True. He's just old. The dirtiest thing is at the end of this movie, Santa wants to smash that old lady at the end. Yeah. You know, he wants to get it on to Arthur Applegate or whatever his name was. Yeah. And then this one will be, I guess for me, which says, if you hate Ernest, get the hell out of here. And I will happily get out of here. <laughs> I will leave. I will happily leave. So, oh, man. with those reviews in mind, what do we think the Letterbox community thinks of Ernest Saves Christmas? David, it's your movie. What do you think? I'll go ahead and establish, I think, where I think most of us think. I'm going to say it's like a 2.6. Okay. I was, uh, yeah. I'm going to... I think it's a generously high two, like that. But maybe I'm wrong. I want to say 2.5. Oh, I'm going to go even lower then and say 2.3. Oh, I'll get a, I don't, we don't have, we don't have any tiebreakers ready, but you know, we don't. the next Ernest movie. I know, right? We do not need a tiebreaker, thankfully, but we also did not have a direct hit this time. No direct hit. The closest person is David. And the final score is two point seven. Oh, you're wow. off by point one. I was, I you know, that's another win for me. I feel weird because I've won a lot this year, and it makes it feel you're like in the game. You you've got a good run going. I've got like a hey, you take know, that momentum. It's the hot people at the end of the season that win. Got a Roger Maris esque run going here, where I'm just winning and winning, just banger after Don't banger. You mean Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge, hitting home runs, banger. Passing an AL record. Not an MLB record, though. Like, still 10 away from that one. I want to put that in there. You what know, it's the, been a great uh, year, the letterbox game, for me specifically. What do we feel about it ourselves, boys? What do we mm. think our rating is? Keeping in mind that my Christmas ratings are more generous, it is a two. <laughs> I have a specific category carved out for movies like this. This is not a good movie, boys, but this is relatively entertaining and so for me that is an actual scale on my chart at 1.5 wow bad but entertaining is a 1.5 bad but entertaining is a 1.5 oh, that makes my score sound so high in comparison oh, you're gonna give it a three and a half no, i was gonna give it a two and a half was oh. where i was i was legitimately thinking but that's after, fine because after that's a two still in a line, line. 
Yeah, after a two and a one and a half, it makes it sound like a glowing review for me. Like it's that. not a great movie. It is a very, it's a very safe movie, if that's what you want. If you want something that is sort of casual and inoffensive and will be over in an hour and a half, you could, you know, you can cook turkey while this is, while this is on or something like that. And, you know, hey, watch Ernest Saves Christmas. Five-year-olds will love it, maybe. Or they'll move on and go watch Baby Shark. I don't know. Honestly, there is a Baby Shark Saves Christmas and it's better. I'd rather watch that. Okay. Well, that makes our average a two, which is a good chunk under the letterboxed average, but that's okay. I'm content with that. We're fine with that. Oh, this might change some things. Hang on. So, Josh, you gave it a two. Yep. And Garrett, you gave it a one and a half. I did. Okay. All right. Interesting. I got to change some stuff for our So Many Sequels wrapped slash So Many Sequels recap. I'm so anxious to see what this is that you're building. I can't even imagine. Do you guys have any personal, you guys, I was going to ask you in the Discord, do you guys have any questions about the year that you would like me to answer? I can try to find it. We'll think about it. No, I just, yeah, I have to think of it. Yeah. Wow. Interesting details have emerged right. from this podcast. Anyway, sorry, right. go ahead. Check us out where, Josh? Yeah, find us online. That's the end of our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more Christmas for you. We're not done yet, but yeah, find us online at so many sequels.com. We're on social media. We have links to those also on our website. So go check it out and be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcasting app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, it would be really cool if you left a short little positive review. That helps. And on Spotify, you can give a little rating, which also helps. So do that. Check out our Patreon. We're on Patreon. It's so many sequels there as well, where if you sign up, you get access to our Discord, where we talk about everything. We just have a good time. So go do that, and we'll see you next week as we get ever closer to Christmas itself. Bye. Ho, ho, ho. Know what I mean?